Welcome back to the Kielder Observatory podcast. Kielder Observatory is located in Kielder Forest in Northumberland and is part of the Northumberland International Dark Sky Park, designated by the International Dark Sky Association and is one of Europe's largest international dark sky parks. In fact, here at Kielder, the skies can be so dark that the Milky Way and even the planet Jupiter can cast shadows, a phenomenon many have never seen. In this podcast, we aim to give you an insight into what goes on at Kielder Observatory, how you can come and join us and take in the wonders of the night sky, and to bring you a little update of things happening over the coming month that you can take in from the night sky, even in the comfort of your own garden. Coming up in this episode, we're speaking to the boss, CEO of Kielder Observatory, Catherine Johns, joins us to tell us what it's been like navigating Kielder Observatory through these unprecedented times 2020 has thrown at us, the hopes for the future and new developments, including a new radio telescope. We'll find out how national TV stardom is affecting Dan Pye in his life. Uh, ITV came to visit and the observatory featured in a programme called All Around Britain. We'll take a look back at that. Plus, we'll have a look at the things happening in the night sky over the course of November for you to look out for, even from the comfort of your own garden. And there's some great planetary movements and some meteor showers to look out for particularly. We'll have all the details in this Kielder Observatory podcast. I'm Ian Brannan, joined by science communicator from Kielder Observatory, Dan Pye. And our guest in this episode is the CEO of Kielder Observatory, Catherine Johns. She's the boss. Hello and welcome, Catherine. <laughs> Hello, Ian. Hello, Dan. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. It's, it's great to have you with us. And um, first of all, I want to talk about where we're at at the moment, because 2020 has brought many challenges and um, not been ideal for you, I'm sure, to have to work your way through the restrictions and now having to be closed through the course of November. First of all, for people listening to this who may have had an experience booked in the coming weeks, I mean, what's the situation with them and, and how are you looking to reaccommodate those people perhaps uh, for future sessions either this year or next year? Uh, it, it's hugely disappointing. And we, we've literally had people in tears on the phone um, because they can't visit the observatory. And people come to the observatory for a very, very special experience. And we just can't offer that at this point because, as you say, the rules are the rules. So it's hugely disappointing for them and it's hugely disappointing for us. But we do have to follow the public health guidelines. We do have to put safety first of our team and our customers. So you know, there's no getting around it, really. We, we just do what we have to do. It is disappointing because we had so much positive feedback when we opened in August around how safe people felt at our events. And we'd literally just increase the numbers to 24, which will be probably the maximum for, for some time to come. Um, but it is what it is. And I think everyone has been incredibly understanding. And most people have said, yeah, we'll just take a, a voucher and we'll rebook. People are rebooking as we speak. Some people have had refunds because they they're not going to be in the area in any time soon. So we're just being as flexible and as understanding as, and as accommodating as we can. And that is being reciprocated by our customers. Just give us a context of how much work has been involved in, in making Kielder um, a safe environment from the COVID point of view, but also an enjoyable experience that people can get that um, sense of, of nature, the sense of wonder that, that the observatory is, is known for. 
Yes, and actually Dan Pai, who's joining us on the podcast, he actually did most of the work on this. He worked incredibly hard to to follow the guidelines, do the risk assessments, create all the method statements. The team worked also incredibly hard to essentially restructure the entire events around how we make it secure and safe for people. I think we're relatively fortunate in that people don't hang around in one place for too long. You know, a lot of it is outdoors because it's observing um, and we are moving them around the building relatively quickly. So we could accommodate that. The biggest change, of course, was reducing our numbers from 40 to 16 originally and then 20 and then 24. But even that has its silver lining because people get more time at telescopes, they get more time to ask questions with staff. And the first few nights, the staff were really, really enjoying it because they said to me, this is kind of how it was when we started, you know, just a few people at a time. It were The experience was still dramatic and theatrical and inspirational and exciting, but there was an intimacy to it, which we never really got with the 40 people attending our events. So there are as i say a silver lining to every cloud and it has really helped us rediscover a very very basic connection with our customers as a result of that then do you think that um some of these changes that have been forced on you will, will actually lead to an improved experience perhaps you know in in time when when things are perhaps a little bit more normal and, and you've you've kind of been forced to adapt but actually it's led to 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 a good outcome in in some respects like you're saying there yeah i mean i think we have to look at the financial model um which is essentially built on 40 people at most of our events and we were selling out month in advance on that so we we have to balance the demand for what we offer with what we can do both at this point but also in the future so i think it certainly led to some interesting discussions amongst the team about how we continue to offer this and our late night dark skies events our late night explorer events they've always been more intimate you know these are the ones we have on friday and saturday nights from about midnight to 3 a.m they've always been fewer numbers so that there is always that service going to be in, in place we're not going to change that but yeah i think the other really important question is how we've managed to pivot to a more digital delivery mode as well people of course unable to visit the site and uh, use the equipment that you have at kielder observatory during this lockdown throughout the course of november but how can people best support the observatory during these lockdown weeks from wherever they are i think the you know the best thing that we have seen is the support and engagement we've had on on social media and just the kind of the outpouring of of love if you want to put it like that for for the observatory and that's kind of all we need at this point um of course it is incredibly helpful if people continue to book tickets for the future um but also i think the people if they can just stay aware of how much is going on behind the scenes to really, really make sure our offer is open to everybody and is more inclusive because our education program hasn't stopped. The digital initiatives that you're going to talk about, they haven't stopped. And it's really about how how we deliver that very special Kielder moment to millions of people rather than 20,000 people on site. There are reasons to be positive and reasons for excitement over the uh, coming months and the coming year because there have been developments at Kielder Observatory in that you're getting a new radio telescope, which is going to make a a huge difference both to how things look and the things that you can do. And there have been other additions to uh, the observatory over the past year as well. So there have been developments and, and, and things to look forward to when people are able to attend again. Absolutely, yes. The radio telescope is is hugely exciting. 
um, not least because it's an incredibly dramatic addition to the site and, and where Dan's managed to find a place for it is right by the car park so it's the first thing people will see this lovely beautiful dramatic radio telescope. Um, but it's also incredibly important because it enables us to bring university research to Kielda. It enables us to connect with school children around the country because they can literally log in and drive the telescope in a way that they can't with our with our optical telescopes. So it, it's it's just hugely exciting for us. But it's not the only thing that we're doing. Um, we've probably discussed the augmented reality app that, that Dan's also developing with Arcade. So everyone can have their own little Kielder Observatory in their garden, in their school, in their community hall. So that's in development. And as I say, the thing that really underpinned all of this is, is making sure that many more people experience that Kielder moment than, than we could possibly accommodate on site, whether we are in COVID conditions or not. And Catherine, for you, you've um, you've been the CEO for is it about a year or so now? Or just over, just yeah, over just a year. Over, yeah. So yeah. Over, over the last year, then since since being the CEO of of Kielder Observatory, I mean, there's been obviously challenges and and COVID, uh, surely the biggest one of those. But what have what have been the high points for you of of overseeing things over the last year or so? Well, I probably need to go back to when I actually interviewed for the post. Um, because you'll, you'll have seen my background. I had a hugely successful career in economic development and innovation, and this job just popped into my news feed. You know, CEO of Kielder Observatory, I went, oh, that sounds interesting. Um, I'm not an astronomer, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> and I met the trustees, and they were, just, they were just lovely people and really up for change and growth and development. Um, so I thought, that's good, that's good. And then my second interview was actually presenting at the observatory to the team. So I had to present my vision for Kielder Observatory to the team, no pressure there. Um, and it was, a, it was a very strange night because the, the observatory was completely and utterly fogged in. You, it was like being in a fog globe. <laughs> you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, essentially. And, and you know, you, people go to Kielder Observatory to see the stars. Yes. <laughs> <Bearing in mind. laughs> um, and I don't know how they did it, and I still don't really know how they did it, but the team worked some mysterious magic and everyone was inspired and excited and enthralled. I don't, I don't know how they do it. I really don't. They are, they are just like a team of magicians and wizards that they can actually perform and, and create this environment of inspiration and excitement, um, even when it's foggy. And I watched them work and I watched them interact with people, with customers. And I said, if they can do this on a foggy night, what can they do on a clear night? This is a spectacular group of people and I want to work with them. So all the high points have really been around the people. And yes, it's exciting to get a radio telescope, but actually the, the high point was seeing the team's reaction to getting a radio telescope. You know, when it was first mooted that we might get this, it was just... They were so excited and energized and it's like, yeah, let's do it. We'll go, you know, whatever it needs, we'll, have, we'll do it. Um, their reaction to developing a digital learning platform was like, yes, how do we do that? Let's just, look, let's just go and do that. That's cool. The reaction to me pushing leadership further down into the organization is like, yes, we're up for that. We'll do it. Um, because I think everyone recognizes that the observatory is such a special place and it, it is much loved and deservedly so. And, and all the team want to do is convey that love and that inspiration to, to many more people. 
So all really I'm doing is enabling the team to do that because they are a fantastic group of people to work with. That's fantastic. And it is such an inspiring location as well. You know, I think when you go up to the to the site and, you know, you, you're taken in from getting out of your car. And then, uh, as you say, I think when I... Um, the first time I visited Keeldra Observatory was a good few three or four years ago, and the um, it was a similar experience to yourself. It was it was supposed to be a uh, an astrophotography uh, evening, and um, we yeah. we saw the moon. Uh, the, the the other <laughs> oh, thing there, there, there were two there were two there were two factors that were an, an obstacle. Um, one was that it was the middle of June. Uh, and so it didn't get dark until like one a.m. And then, um, and the, and the other was the fact that, it, that then very soon after seeing the moon, which was the first thing we saw when we arrived, uh, it of course um, clouded over. And um, and similar, the mist came in. And but nonetheless, I, I still remember having a fantastic experience on that first occasion. And uh, again, down to the to the team. And um, Dan might even been one of them. I can't remember. <laughs> Yeah, it's very hard to define, um, but the the whole experience from booking your ticket to driving through the forest to driving up the track to thinking, where is this place? It's just the most remote place in England, to finally getting there, to getting out your car, to switching the lights off, to seeing the stars, to having the hot chocolate. It, it's it's an extraordinary, extraordinary experience. And I, you, you, you can see that people's lights have been switched on in their heads and to be able to run an organization that facilitates that for people that's just a huge privilege yeah it's a fantastic destination and uh, and, and long may it continue and in the longer term then uh, where do you see Kielder observatory being obviously you're going to have this uh, new dimension with the radio telescope and you're going to be able to get more involved with with university work and research and things like that i mean is that something you're looking to sort of further develop and increase and and where where is your hope for the next uh, few years well we have you know, obviously we have strategic objectives and we will, we're just about to launch a new strategic framework called Kielder Observatory Constellations, which is really, it encapsulates that desire to kind of switch people's lights on all over the world, not just at Kielder Observatory site. Um, and it's really about putting people at the heart of everything we do, extending our reach, extending our diversity, um, but about also about building our reputation as the gold standard in dark side observation, imaging and outreach. So those are the two main objectives I think we have. And as long as activities fit within those objectives, I'm really relaxed about how we do that. So a lot of the ideas that we do at the moment are actually from, from the team, whether that's the education project, the arts project, the citizen science things that we do. The ideas have really come from, from the team because they convey that and they enable us to connect with people. So, you know, really, I would excuse the pun, but the sky is not the limit here. Um, and I'm very, very happy to do whatever we think as a team we should do so we connect people and inspire them, whether that's digital learning, whether that's an augmented reality app, whether that's a documentary series, whether that is a new telescope, it doesn't really matter. It's about that point of connection. And the best thing that you've seen through the uh, telescopes at uh, at Kielder would be? Oh, there's so many. We saw some detail of Mars the other night when Mars was in opposition, and that's just mind-blowing. Um, to look at the surface of another planet in the solar system and to think that we could be there you know, in a few years, a very few years. 
I love I always love looking at Andromeda it's my favorite object in the sky and of course you can't you can't beat looking at Saturn because that's the thing that the kids go ooh and ah over it's like oh I've never seen Saturn it's amazing um but yeah I think those three were probably my favorite yeah, Saturn just captures the imagination of kids, doesn't it? I mean, uh, my really uh, yeah. my my daughter, she's four, and because she now can pick out Mars in the night sky, it's incredible. Yeah. I've only seen her a couple of times. She goes up, there's Mars, and then I said, <laughs> I said, I can do better than that. There's Jupiter and Saturn over there, and she was like, oh, wow. She said it looks really small, and I said, I said, yeah, it's quite a way off, but you know, it's, uh, you do the so, Father Ted thing, yes. <laughs> This planet is far away. Um, yeah. So yeah, but yeah, it does it does capture the imagination um, for some reason. It's just the rings, isn't it? It's the, it's the rings that make yeah. the difference when you show them it. And I think the the overall question that we're always trying to answer is the so what question. So you know, you you come to Kill the Observatory, you get inspired, and then what happens? Do you buy a telescope? Do you become a scientist? Do you become an artist? What is what has that moment of inspiration done for you? What impact has it had? Um, so that's the question that we're really going to be trying to answer over the next few years. Well, I'll tell you what it did for me when I went on that um, photography evening. I, I ended up coming back and buying another lens for my camera, which cost a fortune. <laughs> and I bought um, one of these one of these things that um, that they that you showed you know the, uh, to do the uh, star trails where it takes the shot every however long the little timer i bought one of those yeah. and you know what i don't think yeah. i've actually um i haven't properly used it since it's there and I keep, it's one of those things that um i think i, I moved house or something and got packed away but i've just remembered i bought a load of photography gear to get one of those star trails photos and never actually did it so there we go that's what i'm going to do this weekend whenever anybody buys new kid the sky's cloud over I think mm. that was the thing. I think that I, I had such a mm. bad run of, of weather as well, and it ended up getting packed away and then um, completely forgot about it. Yeah. But now I've just, just got to be persistent. I've now been re inspired. <laughs> 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 Catherine, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast, and uh, hopefully, we'll speak again very soon and um, things will be a little bit more normal next time we chat. Fingers crossed. Thanks, Ian. See you soon. Catherine Johns, the CEO of Kielder Observatory, on the Kielder Observatory official podcast. been a busy month or so for Kielder Observatory, including an appearance on national TV featuring a voice that we know well. As the sun dips, the observatory comes to life, welcoming stargazers to learn about the skies above. Everything is very much a, a theatrical experience when they come. It's all about um, being entertained and being able to um, be inspired and wowed by the wonders of the universe. The nightly workshops run by the observatory's astronomers have been so popular, the events are booked up for months ahead. It's been overwhelming from the second that we said that we were opening. There was just a deluge of people just waiting at the gates, waiting for us to reopen and, and get out and about, I guess, as well. Being able to escape to places like Wild Northumberland in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Being able to be wowed by something that's, that's not the norm. So my name's Dan and welcome to the Sir Patrick Moore Observatory. I'm going to ask first of all, what do you think of this? 
Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Dampai there involved in uh, what was a news report for ITV Tyne Tees, but also was included in a programme uh, nationally on ITV called All Around Britain, which focuses on many tourist attractions and nature attractions. Uh, Dan, you were obviously involved in this because we heard you there in your moment of fame. Um, can I have your autograph? <laughs> yeah, it was nice. It was nice. It's a, a few times that I've been on TV now, which is, is always lovely. Yeah. And to be honest, actually, um, it's, it's not my preferred medium for me because uh, for those of you who, who might have already seen it, um, the comparison to the Muppets character Beaker was very evident. Uh, it was a very windy day <laughs> um, and my hair was all over the place and slightly balding and so, all sorts of stuff like that. But it was great anyway. It was really good for the observatory and we saw a good boost in, in, in ticket sales as well as a result of it. And which is always a positive thing. Um, the nature behind it was really um, the story as to what was bringing people outside their homes. Um, it was a piece which was constructed for Mental Health Awareness Week and being able to get out and about and find things to do. Um, and generally the the um, the topic of astronomy as a hobby as well, how grounding it was, uh, how grounding it is rather, on and how... Um, mentally um, resting it is as a, as a hobby, you know, being in touch with the universe and being in touch with nature. It's all very much um, a symbiotic thing, which which helps with mental well-being. And so that was uh, what drove that particular piece. Um, and then, of course, Julia came to visit us at the observatory and spent, spent the night with us and what turned out to be uh, an actually quite nice observable nice we we were waiting for some aurora to break out and we thought that would just be the icing on the cake Um, alas it did not quite reach us that far that would have been an amazing shot i mean they did get some great shots didn't they of 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 the uh of the night sky they did like some time lapse um video of of the night sky and it was really a really good kind of and not i know it wasn't intended as an advert but you know a Mm. a great sort of demonstration of of what can be seen from keelder observatory on on a good night yeah, absolutely. I think it's something very unlike anything else that you get across the country as well. It's a very unique experience. There is nowhere else in the UK that can provide an experience on the level that we can provide it. I mean, we're only one of two really dark sky observatories in the entire UK um, or, or protected dark sky observatories in the UK, um, pretty much underneath the darkest skies that you could get um in 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 britain so it's 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 a, a completely different experience to what you would get at a an observatory local to a city or a town and stuff like that yeah we can see things through telescopes in those places but coming out to the darkness is totally totally different the experience is 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 much more in touch with the universe and if you'd like to see Julia Bartram's report from her visit to Kielder Observatory, you can find it if you look online for Reaching for the Stars at Kielder Observatory. Uh, you will find uh, the video and um, Julia Bartram's uh, own blog of her experience as well. It's great to read, great to check out. And I think there's also a link to it on the Kielder Observatory Facebook page as well, if you want to check that out at some point. Right now on the Kielder Observatory podcast, let's have a look ahead to what is happening at the night Right now on the Kielder Observatory podcast, let's take a look ahead to what's going to be happening in the night skies uh, across both the northeast and nationally as well. Wherever you may be listening to this in the northern hemisphere, there's plenty going on in the night sky. And while the observatory may be closed, nature stops for no man, as we well know. So plenty going to be going on uh, over the course of November. So let's take a look at some of those highlights now. Starting off with Mercury, which, of course, is a planet very, very far, far away, but... um, Um, you can see it with your own naked eye 
but you've got to be up either really late or really early. Yeah, so Mercury is at its greatest western elongation, and so it's going to be above the horizon by about 19 degrees from the sun, just before sunrise. So just before sunrise, if you head outside, um, and the way that you would measure this is looking in the uh, in the east, of course, where the sun is rising from. Um, if you stretch out your hand at, at arm's length, and then you, you separate your finger and your thumb, your, your little pinky finger and your thumb, like stretch them out like you're making like a rock symbol and um, but really stretched out really to the exaggerate now that at arm's length is about 20 degrees in 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 the sky so what you're looking for is a little tiny dot a little tiny star quite bright in the eastern sky just before sunrise and that there would be the planet mercury you'll be able to see it at its best viewable time um, when we start to creep into the 10th of November. It's just starting to rise now, but it'll become better as the month goes in. So that's going to be happening in the early hours of the morning. If those hours aren't really suitable for your body clock, uh, then there are more planets that you can see because Jupiter and Saturn are both visible. And for the first time in almost 500 years, they're practically going to be on top of each other as we get towards Christmas. Very exciting. And, and we can see these already now early evening. Gradually going to meet each other in the sky from our point of view um, as we creep round to the 21st of December, which is when they're at their greatest conjunction they're practically going to be on top of each other by um by september by december 21st um so they're they're they're, they're getting ever so closely and when and when you see this in the sky it just looks absolutely incredible when you start to be able to see them in the same patch of sky through the same telescope two incredible planets such as that through one eyepiece is just one of the most incredible things to see um this will be coming into the western part of the sky um as we get into in, into the evening uh, if you look in actually in that in that patch of sky right now if you head outside um on an evening and you you look in the in the west you'll be able to see two two bright stars one's very very bright and the other one is slightly dimmer to its left hand side that's that's jupiter on the right hand side and saturn on the left hand side and you'll see how quickly they start to to almost look like they're colliding together of course they're not going to collide together though this is just our perspective on the rest of our solar system they're really far away from each other which is a good thing because we don't want those to collide that would yeah, be dreadful you, you don't you don't want um, jupiter and saturn crashing into each other that would be uh, that would be, be bad news yeah uh, so which one is the brightest of the two we can see them in the west we can see the two stars one is yeah. jupiter one saturn which is brightest uh, jupiter's the brightest yeah right a good pair of binoculars you should be able to pick out some of the moons of jupiter as well i reckon oh really that'd be good to see and 1623 was when this event last happened in space <laughs> obviously quite a while ago none of us uh, was here but um so very rare thing to see these two planets converging in this way that's interesting that 1623 because that would mean that it was around about towards the end of Galileo's life um, and of course Galileo was very much an avid um, watcher of, of uh, yeah it was yeah so he died in 1642 um, so 20 years 20 years before his death just around about that time he would have really been observing these planets in particular Jupiter was one of his one of his uh, 
go-to object um, and, and a very, very significant object for him back in 1609 when he started using his telescope. Um, he would look at Jupiter and he would observe these um, bright stars in what appeared to be in motion around Jupiter. And that's why we refer to them as the Galilean moons. Galileo was the, the first person to really um, to, to account for that, that motion of other objects around another body elsewhere in our universe. It's incredible to think, though, that this event that we're going to be experiencing with Jupiter and Saturn being so close together won't have been seen through the sort of equipment that we have in the modern world now. You know, we're talking just after the invention of telescopes when this last happened. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think back to really um, 1609, I would say, is, is, this, is this real tipping point. Because prior to 1609, everything was um, theoretical. Um, everything was best guess. Whatever you could see in the sky, that's where you were working from. Then being able to be able to resolve things in greater detail with the telescope, that's when things started to change. And I should probably mention at this point, Galileo wasn't the, if, if, if you're not already aware of this, Galileo wasn't the inventor of the telescope. It was a guy um, called Hans Lippershe, who was a lens maker from the Netherlands. Um, and Galileo got a hold of these plans for said telescope. And so he, he crafted his own because he realized that all of the stuff that he was really interested in was really far away. So if he could make it closer using these things, this, this make closer machine, so to speak, um, then he could start to understand more about what was happening in the rest of the universe. And so he pointed it to a few different objects, one of those was was Jupiter and one of those um, was the sun as well, which seems like a really, um, really dangerous thing to point your telescope towards. But uh, Galileo, yes. in his infinite wisdom, knew that if he looks at his telescope, uh, so he looked through the eyepiece of his telescope at the sun, he would go blind. And so he projected the sun's light using his telescope onto a wall. Um, and he was able to sketch the surface of the sun or what, what he thought was the surface of the sun and realised that it had dark markings on it. And what I find really interesting about this point is that um, this was a really dodgy period of time for astronomy because you were a constant battle with religion. Um, and although we never like to get into the religion astronomy debate, um, the, the interesting thing about this is that Galileo was from some theories was was trying to disprove this theory of divine perfection and so by observing the sun and observing that this heavenly body had these surface refeatures that kind of put a kibosh on the whole um divine perfection theory and the church they really took a dislike into galileo and and sadly um galileo passed away while he was under house arrest um, as a result of some of the theories that he was coming out with. So it was a really interesting, dodgy time. He was eventually pardoned. Um, I think it was in 1992. What? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you just wait 300 years. Yeah, yeah. You, we'll, so, we'll, we'll see you right. Bit dead by then, but never mind. <laughs> and I've heard that you can go to a museum um, and see his finger. I think he, his finger's on display in a museum, from what I've heard. Lovely. What, yeah. a, what a fine thing to have in a museum. Galileo's finger. <laughs> <laughs> Number one on TripAdvisor. I wonder how much that was worth when they bid for it. <laughs> now the next lot, Galileo's finger. There's actually, there's a guy um, 10 years before Galileo founded his telescope who 
who I always feel really sorry for. And I, I, to be honest, I mention him in a lot of my talks at the observatory. And it's a guy called Giordano Bruno. Um, and he was, to be honest, I think a lot of his things were as mad as a box of frogs. Um, he, he was a great thinker, a real philosopher. Um, and one of his theories was that all of the stars that he could see in the night sky were suns. Um, and they had planets going around them. Now, bearing in mind this was before the telescope, we didn't even know what our sun was at this point. Um, we didn't even know we were in orbit around our sun. We had a good idea, a good steer on it, and people were very much in support of that. But there was a lot of people who weren't in support of that as well. There was a lot of people who still thought the planet was flat at that point, of course. Um, so here comes uh, Giordano Bruno banging his drum about, oh, all these, all these stars, they're all, they're all suns and they've got planets going around them. And then um, he upsets the church, but he doesn't get off as lightly as Galileo does, you see. This guy um, was, was taken to a, a piece of wood, uh, tied to it and, and set fire to. Um, and he, 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 he obviously lost his life as a result of his incredible theories in, 16, in the year 1600. And now... Um, he has a statue. You can go visit the statue in Italy. So the moral of the story is it, stick with your convictions, never give up, because you yeah. might end up getting a statue. <laughs> you will come around to your point of view in the end. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so we sort of digress there, but that's uh, that's uh, Jupiter and Saturn um, getting increasingly closer, I think, through from around the 16th of November, but I think that goes through to sort of pretty much Christmas time, doesn't it, I think, when, yeah, it uh, does. when they're the closest. So. Yeah. Uh, something to look out for there. Keep an eye on that one. Um, and Mars, I think, is changing direction. Yeah, so we've um, we've we've successfully almost completed our underlap of the planet Mars, so it'll start heading in the right direction again. Um, it's always an interesting thing to 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 image um, is this this little loop that Mars does in the sky, um, just as we undertake it as we we move around the sun slightly quicker than it does. Um, so, yeah, that'll be heading back in, in, the, in the regular direction, which, of course, means um, whatever it means in, in, um, in astrology. I'm not sure what that means. Something good. When it starts heading in the opposite direction, I think that's something bad. Um, but when it starts going in the right direction again, that's something good. I don't know. Yeah, where's Russell Grant when you need him? That's uh, always my question. Uh, now, turning our attention to meteor showers. We've got a few more meteor showers to come over the next month or six weeks or so. And uh, at least a couple of them are scheduled to be uh, peaking around nights where there is a new moon. So no moon to distract things in the night sky. But the first of these will be the Leonid meteor showers. And they're scheduled for the middle of November around the 17th and the 18th. Yeah, they are. And actually, this is probably one of my favourite meteor showers of the year um, because I always get a little bit excited just that it might be a meteor storm. Um, the Leonids is, uh, is is very well known for in history having produced a, a, a meteor storm or meteor bursts um, every 30, 33 years or so um, through history. Um, as it orbits the sun, leaves a little extra deposit. The the comet uh, Temple Tuttle, as it as it orbits the sun, leaves an extra deposit near our planet, and then we go bashing through it. Um, and and it's quite a dense um, collection of material. So as we get as we pass through it, sometimes on those larger occasions, every thirty three years or so, we get these um, these meteor storms. Um, and in, in history, this has been up to events that have exceeded 100,000 meteors 
per hour. 100,000 meteors per hour. Could you imagine seeing that? That would just be absolutely spectacular. Um, and even during some of the, the quieter um, meteor storms, it's been around 1,000 meteors per hour. Sad for us, though. This year, it seems to be one of the quieter storms, um, and it's predicted to produce maybe somewhere between 10 and 15. But nevertheless, there's no moon in the sky, which means you'll be able to see some meteors if you get somewhere nice and dark. 100,000 meteors an hour is 3,600 seconds. That's like 27 meteors every second. (laughs) That's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it as well, our planet really actually experiences meteors on on average around about 4 million per day hit the planet globally. Um, Yeah, so imagine how many bits of dirt are entering the atmosphere during that that meteor storm that produced over 100,000 per hour. That... (laughs) That's crazy. It's just incredible, yeah. And um, the Geminid meteor shower, if uh, if you want more as an encore, which is uh, December 14th. Um, so there's that meteor shower to come as well before Christmas. Yes, yeah, a nice bright one, that one as well. A nice active meteor shower, one of the most popular throughout the year. Um, the, the, these two, the, the Perseids and the Geminids, are usually the, the, the better meteor showers to keep an eye out for. So that is definitely the one to, to, to get outside and observe. And remember, you don't need to get outside just on the peak. You can either go either side of that as well by about two weeks either side. We're still in that cloud of dirt and debris, still moving through it. It just reaches its peak of activity um, on that date in December. You're listening to the Kielder Observatory podcast. I'm Ian Brannan. I'm joined by science communicator from Kielder Observatory, Dan Pye, in this episode. We're talking there about the things that you can see in the night sky. And if you have any questions, there is a way that you can interact with Kielder Observatory. It's called Astronomer on Call. And we'll come to that in a moment. But first of all, I want to talk about some other ways that you can support Kielder Observatory during this lockdown time, because clearly the um, venue itself is closed. But there are ways that you can support uh, the work of Kielder Observatory and one of those ways is to buy your loved one or indeed yourself the annual calendar from Kielder Observatory. Now disappointingly for Dan Pye fans it doesn't actually feature any photos of Dan either clothed or unclothed uh, this time round but plenty of shots of the night sky having been photographed from Kielder Observatory and um, this is something that you can buy right now. Yeah I mean I'm quite disappointed that we haven't <laughs> gone with that route this year to be honest. Maybe in future years we can Next year yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. You anyway. know I think most of us would be game for that so um <laughs> yeah, the the new calendar. Um, they're all photographs taken by um, by the team at the observatory. I think this year I might have one or two photographs in there actually, which is always nice. Oh, that's good. Um, of course, Dan Monk. He's got a billion photographs in there because um, he's the one who takes most of the most of the photographs up at the observatory. He's the one who spends a great deal of time and effort in processing all of the the beautiful images you get to see on our social media, or or, or most of them anyway. Um, so, yeah, you can get that on our website um, and you, it'll also be available during events as well once we reopen. Um, and uh, you can also get some other uh, merchandise as well, you know, pens and face masks and, and all these kind of things as well. They're also available online. Yeah, we've got T-shirts, fleeces, pens, face masks, um, what we got, um, hats, badges, um, all sorts of bits and pieces on there. Um, the lanyards, um, the lanyards, oh. I really enjoy the lanyards, actually. They're really nice. Unbreakable really mugs, are you still doing those? Oh, yeah, so we've got some new mugs now, actually. We're, we're into the travel mug market now. Um, oh. so, we're, we're, so we've we've temporarily discontinued our unbreakable mugs. 
um, and we're, we're sampling these new uh, travel mugs. So they're either going to be a limited run or they're going to replace the um, the lovely plastic ones that we had um, in the past. The unbreakable mug for me is my uh, is my go-to builder's mug. If we've got yeah. uh, builders, <laughs> tradesmen around, you know, uh, it's 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 the Kielder Observatory mug for them. And um, yeah, always uh, always seems to go down well. <laughs> yeah, it's a good mug, to be honest, actually. You know, it's because it's made out of plastic as well, it's really good at being able to retain heat. Um, it's, it's, it's a great mug, and I, I, I use one at home, um, and I've used one for years and years and years since, since I first visited the observatory. I think I bought one on my first visit, um, and I'm still using um, that, that very same mug today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're, they're great mugs. They're really, really, really rigid, and I think the, the only major breakage that we've had with one is when we dipped it in, um, in, in some um, nitrogen, liquid nitrogen. Yeah, oh. that, that really broke it. Um, that's, that's, that's not normal, at least. Yeah. But other than that, I think in terms of accidents, we've only actually had m- maybe a handful that I can think of in the past that have actually broke from being dropped or or deliberately thrown at the ground or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Tested uh, to destruction. Um, yeah. You've also got a facility uh, that's uh, coming back that you did earlier in the year, Astronomer on Call, where if you've got any space-related queries, uh, questions about things in the night sky, um, one of the astronomers at Kielder Observatory is going to be available via uh, Facebook and um, happy to answer questions. Yeah, that's right. So we'll be there. We'll be taking it in shift um, daily and um, you'll be able to ask us questions via our Facebook and, and we'll, we'll hopefully get through to answering um, all of them. Uh, I would imagine different astronomer per day. Liam's kicking it off first, um, which he'll have already kicked it off by the time this podcast goes out. But nevertheless, um, it'll be it'll be kicked off with a, a member of team. Uh, every single day who will be there to answer your questions. We've got a huge range of different expertise as well. Um, and if there's any questions that the astronomer on call can't answer, then we've got an entire team that we can ask. What, what's the question that you get asked most, do you think, in, in your experience? It depends, I guess, because one of one of my more popular questions that I get asked is what happens when a star shoots, Dan? Um and then uh, the others might get things such as, oh, yeah, very, very, very regularly, often from kids is, all right, then, so what's a black hole then? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, that, and that opens a whole heap of debate about that stuff, because um, where do you start talking about black holes? And there's still a lot that we don't know about black holes as well. Um, it's always those those more, um, I guess, triggered questions from what people might have come across in the news and such. So, what's dark matter? Uh, what's dark energy? What's a what's a black hole? Um, how big's a universe? What's a light year? All of that kind of stuff. And the question is, Dan, what is a black hole then? It's essentially the remnant of a, a, a really high mass star which has died. And when these things die, they collapse on themselves, crushing their core into, in this case, a singularity. And the mass of that is so incredible um, that the gravitational effect that it has on the area of space around it is just phenomenal. Um, so much so that light is unable to uh, to escape from around it. So there you go. It's a hole where light goes and doesn't yeah, get yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The middle of it, we don't know. <laughs> 
So if you'd like to take advantage of Astronomer On Call, keep your eyes peeled on the Kielder Observatory social media pages, particularly on Facebook. And um, you can ask a question to the astronomer who is on call, and hopefully they'll be able to uh, help you out with whatever your space query is. So that's going to run right the way through November. And then hopefully in December, things should be back open again. Fingers crossed. And uh, what events have you got coming up over the immediate uh, month or two that people can look forward to and get involved in with a fair wind and COVID permitting and everything back open, which we hope uh, what's lined up. Um, so on the 3rd of December, we have a visit from Wallace Arthur, who um, who we, we met in the last podcast. He'll be um, coming up to the observatory to talk about um, biological life elsewhere in the universe. And um, that's part of the Discovering New Worlds events that we run. So it's a special guest appearance at that specific Discovering New Worlds event. Um, they're, they're amazing events. They're, their event topic is generally around um, exoplanets and the existence of planets which exist around other stars elsewhere in our galaxy. We still also have a couple of spaces left for the 21st of December. That's a great conjunction event whereby um, Jupiter and Saturn are right on top of each other. So we still have uh, three spaces at the moment for that left, unless they're gone by the time this goes out. Um, and other than that, the general running events throughout the throughout the month, things like Jewels of the Universe, um, our Discovering New Worlds, the late night dark skies events that we run, which are all the way through until two o'clock in the morning. Um, the secret lives of stars which cover um, the topic of the life death of stars in our universe Um, and also the origins of the universe where did it come from what did it start as and more recently we've also introduced um, two new events which will be coming into effect in December Um, we have uh, our space kids events which we run every Sunday Um, the topic now has changed to searching for aliens um, so we're looking at exoplanets for kids, essentially, um, and a little bit of um, electromagnetic spectrum and how that relates to our search for aliens elsewhere in the universe. Um, and also our relaxed astronomy events. They take place every first Monday of the month, as from December. In fact, we've run, we've run a couple of um, sample events up to now. Um, and those are um, designed for um, people who have a greater need when they visit the observatory. We 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 take away um, some of the some of the uh, stuff that that creates a lot of noise. We we make them a little bit more chilled out, a little bit more approachable, a little bit more accessible, um, for those who need it. Okay, so those are some great things to look forward to. And of course, you mentioned Wallace Arthur there. Uh, He was uh, speaking quite at length in our previous episodes. If you've not checked out episode one yet, then uh, definitely go back and listen to Wallace Arthur because what he has to say uh, in that uh, episode will give you a perfect kind of appetizer for what he's going to have in store for you um, when he makes his appearance at Kilda Observatory in December, which hopefully will happen. But uh, in the meantime, you can check out what he's got to say there and revealing details about his new book, which is all about the possibility of finding life And he also says that life has already found us uh, elsewhere. So sort of weird to know that there's somebody somewhere on another planet that knows exactly what we're up to, what they make of it all. Goodness only knows. Thanks for joining us in this episode of the Kilda Observatory podcast. Uh, Of course, you can check out episode one, which features that fascinating chat with Wallace Arthur. And uh, hopefully next month we'll have better news for you that things are going to be reopening and maybe the world getting back to normal. But, you know, one step at once. Um, Ask an Astronomer, though, continues. I mentioned that a little bit earlier on. You can find details on Facebook. Search for Kielder Observatory. Look for Kielder Observatory also on Instagram. And you can find us on Twitter too. Kielder 
www.observatory.org is the web address that you need if you want to check out our website for all the latest information, uh, particularly on booking tickets for future events as well. In the meantime, my thanks to Dan Pye. Thank you. And thanks to you, of course, for listening as well. Stay safe. Enjoy the night sky. There's lots to be checking out. And, of course, if you do take any great photos, share them with us too on our social media. It'd be great to see your pictures, and we'll share ours as well. And we'll speak to you again soon on the next episode of the Kielder Observatory podcast. Happy stargazing. <laughs>